This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homestyle Radio, live review show. Crowdfunded by Palace fans, for Palace fans. Welcome to Homestyle Radio. My name is Chris Hambling and tonight I'm your host as we look back at a third successive Premier League defeat for the Eagles. Paul Clement Swansea left Sellers Park as 2-0 winners as an abject palace still struggled with the style and tempo needed to play possession football. We'll get our views in just a moment, but if you want to give yours, head to holradio.net forward slash contact. We'll be back in just a moment. reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Right, we are then. Let's introduce the panel before we go any further. We have Mr. Nicholas Gillard. Hola. It's <laughs> a very weary sigh there. Good well, start. you're keeping things from me. Well, we'll, you don't bring that on air. Also on the panel, we have Tim Warren. Good evening. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? I'm very well today, thank you. Not angry about me withholding anything from you? No? No, I'm fine. Oh, good. Glad to hear it. And finally, we also have Mr. D.R. Kernas. Hello. Hello. I got quite deep when I introduced you there. <laughs> yes, Mr. Yeah. Good. Uh... You are. You are a Mr. <laughs> Certainly are that. Okay, brilliant. So we're going to be talking about what was a very, very disappointing defeat, a third successive defeat in the league for Frank de Boer as Crystal Palace manager, 2-0 to Swansea. And, you know, there's no solace to be gained from the fact that I predicted that score before kickoff and was 100% correct. Only I am getting solace from that, not the rest of you. However, <laughs> booing me in chat for Nick, honestly. Uh, but there's a couple of things I want to talk about first. The first, before we get into the game, um, and they relate to our Facebook discussion group. Uh, if you find our, our regular account on Facebook, which just search Homestyle Radio on Facebook, you will find a link to our discussion and chat group. Now, on there, I asked a couple of questions of the bonds that have joined us so far. Uh, the first was about whether or not the uh, calls for Frank de Boer's head after only three games were valid, and the second of which was about booing. And I want to start talking with the panel uh, about, you know, the, the, the situation with the boys, you know, he's certainly lost the crowd very, very quickly. If, if you're 
judging by the reactions at the games. Um, the style of football, many people are calling it boring already. Um, he's got a huge battle on his hands to turn that around. Um, so if I give you a little flavour of the comments that were came, come up on Facebook and get your views, Jen. So I said, should we be considering the head of a manager after only three games? Andrew Reid, he went straight in with buck stops with Parrish. Uh, Becca Fairley Watson said, no, not at all. We have to spend this week to strengthen and give in a few games. Stephen Goldring with no, not yet. This week is absolutely crucial, though. Um, and generally, the, the feeling Kevin Meacher is pretty much the only one who's saying yes out there. He's just clearly, clear as day, he's a bad fit. Uh, all we can achieve by waiting is to dig ourselves a deeper hole. Paris should never be allowed to select another manager. So very strong views from Kevin there. But generally, Matt Watson, uh, Ian Costa... Loads of people. Uh, in fact, Aaron Mitchell, Matt Mitchell, David Lisa Jones, uh, Dan Simmons, all saying no. But the main reason they're saying no is that we have to get back in financially in the transfer market before we start to judge him. Now, you know, all sorts of uh, rumours flying about at the moment over bust ups and all that kind of stuff behind the scenes, um, which we won't, we can't really go into because we have no evidence to back those things up. But what we can talk about. Is, guys, is the fact that the fans are are restless already. So I'm going to start with you, Nick, if I may. Um, you, you and I bumped into each other after the game yesterday, and you can vouch for the fact I was able to unable to vocalise any kind of thoughts at all due to my anger. But uh, steam, steam, there was coming yeah, out your ears, literally. My mate, my mate, genuinely asked if you were all right. And yeah, I thought, he's walking down <laughs> here. Um, I'm in the chat room. Holeradio.net forward slash chat. Um, and Brinsker Eagle in there has said that everybody's entitled to boo. It doesn't help, but we're entitled to. Um, I can understand the booing. But... Well, no, let's not talk about the booing. The booing is a separate issue. Right? <laughs> let's not talk about the booing, Nick. I'm talking about the views of on whether or not Frank de Burr is a suitable manager for Crystal Palace. He's only had three games. And it was, it was it was rubbish yesterday. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen, the first half particularly. But let's give him a bit of a chance. You know, we might be throwing the baby out with a bathwater. He might turn out to be brilliant. Look at look at um, Allardyce. When he came good, all right, it went a bit off at the end. But we kind of knew we were a bit safe then. So it was on the beach time. But seven or eight games, was it, before we were happy, people were happy with um, with Sam. And then everybody loved him. That's um, that's a fair point, but I mean, people have they they hate know, him, don't they? They do. <laughs> hey, and I think I think genuinely, and I, I've never talked politics on this show. Everybody's angry post Brexit, and it's just coming through in everything. And I think that that's just coming through, and it's a scapegoat for it. And they're 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 putting their eye onto that because they don't know where else to put it. Well, Nick's got political on it, so Tim. <laughs> well. I agree with a comment about we've got to wait till after Thursday, in my opinion, because there's clearly a plan in place, or you'd like to think there's a plan in place. Um, we can't have just agree to take De Boer on and not, you know, think about the fact that we haven't got the personnel at the moment to fit into the system that De Boer wants to play. So I can't imagine that this, you know, this can't be a surprise. It's been a slow start. You know, this show kind of predicted it was going to be a, a tough start to the season with a. Um, a very minimal pre-season um, and I mean must admit this time last year I felt pretty angry after the third game I think we, we drew at Bournemouth um, got a last minute equaliser but I was feeling pretty angry at that point 
purely because Pardew had sort of had all that time beforehand um, in the previous season where it all started to go wrong. But after three games, I just think it's way too soon that we should be calling for his head. Yeah, I, I think that's that, and, and that's a, a view backed up by most of the people who commented in the group and we've had um, some other comments come in as, as we've been on air. Um, if, I just want to draw attention to a bit of the finer detail of it and why I think De Boer's got such a hard job. Because um, it's not just about changing a style and a couple of people have picked up and said he's tried to change too much but he's he's kind of got to really he's got to ask the players to do a hell of a lot and and it will take time for them to do that but the problem you have and this is something i was, I was saying to you after the game nick was you the, as much as we like to think every palace fan is engaged with listening to homesdale radio or fyp or posting on a message boards so the large percent a large percentage of the the, the support just turn up on a match day and want to watch their team. So when they come turn up on a match day, they're not thinking about all the comments that have been made during the week that the rest of us have devoured, and they're not thinking about the fact we've been told to be patient and watch watch this team in transition and and, and accept the fact that it's going to be a struggle at first, right? They're they're, they're turning up expecting a kind of a, a result, and those are the people that have have turned very very quickly. However, I, my my biggest problem with it is we. We didn't certainly didn't prepare particularly well, but how we're reacting in games and how the players are, you know, the problem isn't the tactics. The problem isn't the lack of ability. The problem is there's no confidence. There's no sharpness. If you want to play possession football, you've got a, you know, there's an example. This is exactly an example of what I mean, right? A ball was played, I think it was by punch and sw- switching it out from the middle of the park out to the left. Um, where Joel Ward was. It was in the second half, so Ward had moved out to that to that side. And Joel Ward had to sort of almost stood there with his hands on his hips waiting for the ball to get to him for about 30 seconds. You know, that you know, De Boer talks about a message on the pass. What's the message on that pass? It's barely actually going to reach the player. How are you Oh, I'm, I'm too angry, Nick. You want to talk? Yes. Um I've just been told by J Dog that what I said was um horse shite. Yes, yep. that's yeah, a nice way of saying it. Um, and Dweeb has said, the point of Allardyce is that he got the best out of what he had. We are trying to do it the other way round. Again, as Papadou. That was um, Dweeb. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good point. It's an excellent point, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jay uh, Dog also said, uh, other than uh, correcting me on my politics, um, it was his first trip to Palace this season. The first half was as dull as what's it around me in the home Lapa was if we take relegation now can we avoid sitting through another 16 games of this crap <laughs> and the palace has said palace fans know our club and we know when something just won't work out there aren't even any signs of progress yeah do you know i i i know exactly what what, what i mean i really do as much as um Listen, I'm somebody who likes to be fairly pragmatic about things, and, and I do think three games is way too early to be talking about changing a manager. But at the same time, I do. I have that. I had that immediate sort of feeling, uh, the Huddersfield game, that where pre-season you had, oh, maybe this won't work. You never know, you know. But he's, he, you know, it should. We should get something out of this. But to see the way we've played in our opening two home games, because uh, we were okay against Liverpool. Um, but you know, De Boer's far from the only manager who's had problems getting us working at home. I suppose that's another another question altogether. Uh, before I come back to you, Nick uh, Dr, you've got a couple of things to say. Uh, yeah, when Nick mentioned Big Sam uh, taking about eight games to get 
used to it and get the squad going. You have to realize that Big Sam has bags and bags of experience. Where De Boer, he just coming into Premier League now and he has to adapt to the Premier League and has to. It's going to be a learning lesson this season for him. So by having by only playing three games, I'm telling him to asking him to get. Um, we're asking questions. Should he get sacked? It's ridiculous because this man doesn't have experience in the Premier League and he has to get used to it. With, in total, we played eight games. We're not prepared for this. Pre-season, in my eyes, was poor, especially when we're playing in a new system with players that have never hardly played it, except probably for some inside Ajax. Uh, we're telling them to be absolutely perfect when the season starts by only having four games to prepare for it is ridiculous. And also, he needs backing. Uh, yeah. In the first place, if we couldn't back him, then why did we get him? We, we're trying to play fans football, and it's not rocket science to figure out that we haven't got a players in our squad. So, Dio, everything you've said is is really good. It's exact. It's pretty much where I am, other than the fact. <laughs> um, do you see? Every, I was trying to say you're completely logical, but I think there's a there's an element that you can't really define with just kind of logic that just feels wrong. It, it, you know, and I, I don't think I think if we were to say. You, you would think, right, when, when De Boer was appointed, that the decision was made, we're going to change this no matter what happens, right? We, we, we're going to change the way we play to stop the same thing happening with the club over and over again of of threatening to stay in the Premier League and then dropping down the table and then fighting relegation and it going right to the wire, right? We can't keep doing that. If we keep doing the same things, the same thing will happen. So if we're going to take this kind of brave step and we're going to appoint De Boer, you would think that all of those things have been thought about, including the fact that we might really struggle at the start. Well, but the question the question remains: Will we have the patience to see that out, or will the trigger get pulled quickly because it's just not working? Wouldn't it be better though? We saw in the second half yesterday how, how much better we played when we reverted to a more sort of usual four four two. The players kind of knew a bit more what they were going to do. The ball was up to Benteke. It was you know we had a few good chances in the second half. Wouldn't it make more sense to play that way until we're safe? so that De Boer can get into being a Premier Premier League manager while the players are helping him by playing a style that's suitable for the Premier League and then, when we're safe, introduce the new system. And then I'm it gonna doesn't matter if we're safe. Yeah, kind of associated with that. I mean, I did say on Tales Preview Pod, I think, I don't see why we had to make this change kind of, you know, all, all guns blazing straight away. Surely it could have been a more subtle change. I, You know, I know we need to play more football, but second half yesterday, like Nick said, once we went to kind of a back four, we did mop the ball around quite nicely. Partly that was because we were probably 2-0 down and Swansea took their foot off the gas. But it did show we can mop the ball around. And I just think, you know, we seem to be quite obsessed with this having three centre-backs. Whereas if we could just stick with four, but actually knock the ball around and, and kind of, you know, ease into having three at the back, perhaps, you know, bring that in perhaps uh, further down the line where, we, you know, we've got a bit more confidence. I, I totally see the point, but I also personally have a belief that a, the fixation on, on the three centre-backs is a little bit misleading. It kind of takes the attention away from what the real problem is. And I'll get into a little bit of that when I do the, we do some tactical analysis of the game against Swansea and I'll talk about why, why I think that in more detail. But, you know, let, let's just say, we played an opponent who was struggling as much as we were, who played the same system as us yesterday. Okay, so they, they were much better, but but you can't look at their team and say that those players were that much technically superior to ours. So that's why they were okay playing that system and didn't concede a goal. You know, I, but there's an interesting comment that came in on on Twitter. 
from Greg, who said that two stupid errors aside yesterday weren't actually that bad, especially second half. Three games with very avoidable goals, um, you know, must hold on earth with, with De Boer. And I, I get that. I do. I think I think it's not going to be... A, it's not going to pan out that way, I don't think. But but I do get that. I don't think we've been terrible. But we have been a little bit boring. And that really doesn't help when you're losing games. Nick? Yeah, um, my friend's son, uh, Michael, uh, tweeted before the game, when the teams were announced, he tweeted, both sets of fans look equally as despondent when they see the team sheets. <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't have the best team out. You know, what, no. what difference would have will have made? What did, and, and that talks about strength in depth, doesn't it? And yeah, if we haven't got the players to come in, you know, it's maybe we do have 11 players that are capable of playing that fluid football but we haven't got 25 players and when any of those 11 are out you've got weak links who who just aren't used to that system because you've got to be in there playing it i think to to get it yeah dr let's see it from facebook yeah uh dan Hivas has said the boy's too uh, stubborn for the premier league he won't adapt he will stick with free at the back all season his system doesn't work for us and uh, john uh copeman koopman has said let's give him time but he needs to go back to uh Back four at the back as three doesn't work. Look at Conte at Chelsea last season. They start with three and after four games they changed it and look look at what they went on to do. And he said Red Blue Army. Good stuff. Um, Brummy Eagle also got in touch on Twitter saying that De Boer's totally out of, out of his depth and a shocking appointment. Fed up with people saying give him money, the system's crap. Even if his system, system works, which it doesn't, it's bloody boring. It's not the Palace way. All the pundits agree. Parish has really cocked up. But that's strong views from Brummy Eagle there. And, it, and it, obviously he's mentioned before, um, he said that tweet before I said it, that it was boring. And I'll, I'll point to a few of the reactions during the game um, yesterday as well. Because there was a one of those chants that gets less funny the more you hear it. Um, but there was a chant of Hennessy's open every time we were knocking the ball away, you know, taking the mick out of the fact that we were playing possession football and, and going backwards and we couldn't go forwards and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with doing that, right? <laughs> if, if Particularly if your fan base is used to it and, and your team's good enough to then quickly, you know, knock it around and take it back up the pitch quickly and play the ball, you know, play the passes sharply, play them accurately, all those kinds of things. If your team's doing that, it's fine. It's fine to knock the ball about. But we we don't seem to have grasped the difference between playing calmly and playing slowly. Sl- playing slow is not the way to to do that system and there's you know not enough weight on passes is an absolute killer when your opponent is high pressing i've gone into the tactical talk already so i'm going to wind that back until we get back to the swansea review there's loads of contact coming in on this um some very very strong views but like i say the majority and and i was quite surprised by this um the majority do seem to to feel that the board's got to be given time and got, got to be backed in the transfer market. And it remains to be seen whether that will be the case. Um, so let's get on to the, the, the talk about booing and to lead us into that. And please understand that a lot of what I say in Hamblings Ramblings is very tongue in cheek because it's about me ranting about stuff. So I fear I'm going to get some stick for this, but let's hear it. It's Hamblings Ramblings. This Hamblings gone all ranty. Something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake. It's going to get quite heated. The air is turning blue. The refs have come. The players are. And guess what? So are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes and such. 
So welcome to another Hamblings Ramblings. And this week, uh, I think long and hard about what I was going to do. But I'll be honest with you, it, it changed because of um, because of attending the game and, and, and how things went. And, you know, with the game against Huddersfield, I kind of thought to myself, you know, the halftime booing, I, I could kind of make my peace with it. They just got promoted. We were really abject. We didn't prepare properly. I was fed up with the team in, in, in general. So... I kind of thought it was a bit of a quirk of the the start of the season. We weren't really ready. The team weren't really ready, and it was opposition we expected to be. But you know, the boos kind of kind of wheeled themselves out again against Swansea. So uh, again, it was a pretty poor first half. But it it, you know, it was pretty boring, in all honesty. And we'd got a sucker punch right on the stroke of half time, and blah 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 blah. Boos, boos again. Not everybody, but enough that. You know, there were people in every stand booing. And I just kind of have to say, when did we become the team that boos when we lose and cheers when we win? Okay, we don't win very much, so it's hard to kind of make that as a statement. But I don't really understand where this this attitude of booing has come from. I, I, we, we never used to be that team. Back in the championship, We was, when we were struggling at the bottom, we didn't boo the team. We supported the team if we went... You know, two, three goals down. We used to chant, we're going to win 4-3. You know, in the worst possible games, we were really bored. We used to pretend we scored goals. It was, you know, it was back there. It was what we were. We were all in it together. We were a palace. And now, now what are we doing? Now we think we're Spurs. We think we're West Ham. I can remember vividly being in the crowd, the away crowd, at Upton Park, as it was then, or Bowling Ground, whatever you want to call it. And we laughed our heads off at the West Ham fans, not only for the fact they were blowing bubbles and they were all morons, but more importantly, we laughed at them because they booed their team off at half-time when it was nil-nil. And we thought, how pathetic. Look what the Premier League has done to West Ham United. Well, it's done the same thing to us. We're now a bunch of people who, rather than get behind our team, barring the, the small number of people that, in the HF that was there singing for the team the whole game through, the rest of us, you know, we were pretty quiet, but the there's half the stadium's booing. How can half the stadium be booing? That is a palace. There's a palace, and you can say to me, I have the right to boo the team. I pays my money, I make my choices, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? I also have the right to criticise you, and I am. Stop it. It's not Palace. It is not Palace when you boo your own team. What do you want? Do you want the team to get better? That negativity just breeds more negativity, and now you've got the, the build-up of just hatred that we seem to have in the stadium people are fighting each other people are mouthing off on the message boards and winding each other up give it a rest let's go back to being palace how about that chris hambling's gone all ranty something's really wound him up he's using lots of nutty words like bloody cripes and for pete's sake it's going to get quite heated the air is turning blue the refs are cut the players are and guess what so are you he'll whine about the tactics the substitutes and such but please don't get him started on jordan much away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. <laughs> Dear. Um, Dion, you are going to get the first right of reply. And then we've got loads and loads of responses in the chat room, I believe, as well. Uh, the Nick will bring us on. So, Dion, you had a, an issue with what I said there. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I stand with the booing. Um, I think it was an embarrassing performance. And sometimes you have to boo to let the players know how you're feeling. Last time we ended up booing, it actually worked out pretty well. I remember it was a Sunderland game and we were booing. And then from then on, the next day I heard that Big Sam made the players go in early. And the next game, we saw passion from the players. We saw them playing for the kit, playing for the badge. So it did work out well last time. So maybe booing now could work well again and sometimes you have to be because standing being silent all the time it's not going to work well when you be you let the players know exactly how you feel oh, maybe palace history will tell you and i know you're young so i'm giving you a little bit of leeway here okay but in the the time i follow palace i can tell you one thing and that is that never has an atmosphere of negativity and you know poison like that ever ever seen a good result happen when so on your team at half time in particular right never as i have i seen the 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 team suddenly go oh you know what we were playing rubbish we play a bit better listen i've seen us sing louder after we've conceded a goal i've seen us applaud an appalling performance off the pitch and lift the players i've seen us as fans come together and make the team better than the, than they than they were, but I have never experienced a positive to come from such a negative atmosphere personally, and I and I hate it, I really do, because I don't feel that it's Palace, you know, and and that probably comes a lot from the whole, you know, the the adversity we faced in administration and how much I felt the club prospered from us all coming together as one. You know, we didn't argue with each other, we we all came together whether we felt you know, whether they have the same opinion or not. We all kind of just took the responsibility as fans to support our team through everything. And now we're a Premier League club. We just don't do it. We don't do it anymore. We go quiet if we're not not winning. And as soon as we start losing, everyone starts moaning. And you know what? I understand it. I moan. (laughs) It's a natural thing to do. But the bottom line is this booing, this intense booing. You always used to get a handful of boos, you know? You used to get the silent treatment off the main stands as well. But you never used to get what we're getting now. And it's so reminiscent of when we came up first, the first year we came up uh, under Holloway and we went around the grounds and uh, as a way, an away fan and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed at the awful atmospheres and the hugely negative people that we came across. Even when teams were beating us, they were, they were having a go at their players for not beating us by more. You know, that, that to me, was a great time to be a Palace fan, and now I, I don't. I don't relate to these people. I really don't. Um, they did say that. Um, look at Stoke five years down the line. They they used to have brilliant atmospheres, and, yeah. and theirs kind of went a bit like that. Um, 
it's just just comes with the territory. It's what we're used to. We're not new in the, the Premier League. Isn't newer. A game against Manchester United doesn't fill you with as much excitement as it did in that first, second, or even third season. So we're we're just it's just what we're used to. I suppose uh, we've got some what? comments on that. Oh. But can I can I quickly get a couple off of uh, Twitter before we get into that? Uh, Brent's uh, Brent's in agreement with myself, and he said he's never booed a player in his life. We don't boo; it's for plastics. Alex Warner uh, said that in the nineteen eighties, even under Koppel, we chanted "What a load of rubbish!" and slow hand cap- hand claps from the Arthur enclosure regularly. So that probably that predates me then. So uh, so the yeah, a bit of context from Alex there, who's pointed out that. So valid point, Alex. Thanks for that. Um, so Nick, I think you in the chat room, and then Dr. You can come back in, and then yeah, I'm just going to read the comments. But we've had some from Dave and Jay Dorgan, Brinskill, and the Palace. Um, I think we're booing the manager rather than the players. Uh, we may not have booed, but we certainly groaned. Uh, I think Palace have had enough of losing every other bastard week at home. We are putting <laughs> our foot down and demanding more. The main stand didn't boo. We never make any noise. Ooh. <laughs> Good rant, Hambo. However, at least if they're booing, it shows they were still awake. Perhaps those who weren't booing were catatonic. I'll agree with that one. Um, uh, old people groan, young people boo. It's the same thing, Hambo. Um, <laughs> booted Eagle. Hello, everybody. First time back this season. Anyone got some positives to cheer me up? <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try and find something later for you, mate. Um, okay, dear. Yeah, Chris, you was mentioning back in the day, we wasn't booing, we was always behind the team, we used to make jokes. But as we progressed as a team, we've built a new team, we've, built, we've got quality players now. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but these quality players don't play for the badge. Like back in the day, we saw we had players that played for the badge. And when they don't play for the badge, you have to boo. So they realise that we're not having this nonsense. Because that was utterly embarrassing yesterday. And now let's see if this booing works. Because last time it did work, and these players that get ridiculous amounts of money and are mostly here for the money anyways, I could, like, most of the players that we have on our squad, they're here for the money. Um, unfortunately, we have to boo them so they notice that we're pissed off and that we we demand something better next time. Well, That's listen, I, 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 yeah, no, look, you, in, in there I get that, right? The only thing that I, that I disagree with in what you've just said, really, is the fact that you feel that you have to boo. I don't think that that has to be the case. I think, you know, again, I, I point to, to the HF's response. You know, not, none of those lads would be particularly happy about what they were watching out on the pitch, but they support they support for the 90 minutes. And, you know, that used to be what we all did. And, and I get, you know, as Alex made the point, that wasn't always the case that, you know, when you go, when you go back even further in time, and I'm sure we look in the future, there'll be other times where, you know, the support comes together and the sort of the support doesn't and we boo. But, but I'm just saying to me, the booing is, is an alien concept. And, and I don't believe that you're ever going to get a positive result from it. But, you know, you've got your view. I've got mine. Tim, you've been quiet and had, haven't had a chance. What's your view on this? Yeah, I, I, I won't lie. I've booed in the past, but that's generally been at the end of a long time, such as the end of the Pardew era, or I remember back in the day, Peter Taylor, when he was manager, some of the football then was pretty dire, and I might have booed a couple of times. But I do kind of agree with you, Chris, in that it, I, I think it's counterproductive booing. Um, I mean, yesterday, De Boer getting boos at the end. I just think that's a bit harsh. I know things aren't going well. Um, you know, be naive to think they are, but come on, three games in, um, it's not really helpful at all. And, um, you know, really, I'd rather just be silent. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that does wind me up, actually, on the reverse of that is 
sometimes when it is that dire, when people actually actively really clap <laughs> to sort of say well done, <laughs> and off it that that does wind me up. I'd rather just stay silent, you know. Yeah, I, I suppose there is a, there is a bit of horses for courses here in terms of of how you react to stuff, and I, I know what you mean. I, I if I feel the team have put the effort in and it's just not worked out, and and part of me already has has got this kind of this sort of deep sympathy for some of the things that that I've seen on the pitch because you know we've had good chances and keepers just seem to make saves against us and at, at critical moments and you had the Kelly header in in the, in the Swansea game that. No, that's we, we came out in the second half with a purpose, right? De Boer had obviously done his job, and, he, and he'd got into the team, and he'd said, you know, sort yourselves out, be positive, stop being afraid of having the ball, and everyone came out on the front foot, and it was really good, you know. I thought brilliant. He sent them out early. They had to stand there and wait for the uh, wait for, for Swansea to come out onto the pitch, um, you know, and. It was the right thing to do, but just sheer idiocy completely negated that. It was uh, horrendous. Uh, DR, last little bit from you, and then we'll we'll get into the game review. Yeah, quickly going back on what you said about De Boer changing up in the second half. We've seen that twice from him um, against Ipswich and this game. And normally when we do go to a back four, it does work out pretty well. It's not excellent, but it's better than when we're in a back three. So I think De Boer needs to realise that maybe we should start with a back four instead of going in the second half because every time we go in the second half to a back four it's going to be chaotic and there's a good chance that we'll be losing because back three doesn't work so maybe that's one thing De Boer has to realise that let's not play back three because we haven't got the players and let's start with back four until we get the players and we can actually play back three well, we'll we'll get into that in just a second because uh, I want to do a bit a little bit of tactical analysis as we start to talk about the game. Final thing I say um, is we've got a great uh, tweet from Brent who's uh, sent us a, a, a gif, sorry, gif of a cat who looks like an excellent goalkeeper. So I'll be retweeting that and uh, do check that out because we are looking for someone uh, to pop in goal, and that cat looks like it's got skills. It really does. Is that Thanks, my thing? <laughs> skills with a Z. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm urban enough for that, mate. Um, I've um I've had a message from the chat room. Um, there is a positive from Dre. Yeah. This is wholeradio.net forward slash chat. There's a two week break. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But um, yeah, let's see. I'm I don't know if that's how he out. typed it. I said it like he typed it, but yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Let's talk about the game. Um, we've we've done well. There. We've done over half an hour on my opening opening ten minutes. So, uh, well, at least we don't really want to talk about this game too much. It probably works out pretty well. Um, so, I'll start with the, with the tactical analysis. Um, so, first of all, we've got a lot of chat about oh, he's persisting with the three four three. In fact, there was a um, a, a Facebook comment. I actually, like, uh, quite liked this uh, this comment because he talks a lot about pre season. Um, as well as um, uh, as well as the opening few games, it's been very difficult to find this, isn't it? I've, you notice I was sort of stalling. Here it is. So it's from uh, Todor Dimitrov Oladnev. Uh, he says, "So uh, can I read this in a? Is it wrong to read this in a sort of faux Russian accent? It's possibly Bulgarian. I'm not sure. It might be offensive. Still, so far we play seven games in three, four, three for the nation. Uh, stop now. Three friendly, four competitive games." Every game, we make the same mistakes. Nothing really improves from game one. In the three Premier League games so far, we have one shot in 34 minutes. 
Mate, I'm reading his I'm reading his message out, and I've been that's my fault. But anyway, all right, sorry, mate. Because of the stupid accent I did, I'm going to have to summarise. Um, so basically, uh, he's talking about the fact that we played seven games in three four three. I'm about to call that into question, uh, but he's also called for the fact uh, for us to go to a back four, play a four three three, win a few games, take the pressure off, and use the next three transfer windows to build the team at Palace. So he's thinking very long term in that, but a lot of criticism. Um, for the three-four-three formation, so I'll, I'll start by countering that and saying that since since the Huddersfield game, we have actually gone five-three-two, um, and it was very very five-three-two against uh, against Swansea. Now I, I spent the opening ten minutes being very very boring, um, and probably Stefan who sits, sits next to me was ab- probably absolutely appalled at my um, at just how boring I was being. But I was looking at the, the shape without the ball and the shape with the ball. So as soon as Swansea were in possession, we were a, very, a flat five across the back. Um, the midfield sort of tucked into a three, and it was Townsend who was up uh, central with Benteke. Now, as soon as we got possession back, Benteke kind of peeled out to the left. Townsend drifted centre, and MacArthur was the one who has to push up to kind of make the front three, if you like. So we almost went to the 3-4-3 three, three, when in possession. But the trouble was with that was we had such a little little time on the ball that players were too busy being caught in the transition between the positions that they were playing to actually to to actually receive the ball make a pass or make a decent run we actually disrupted ourselves in that first half by our poor ball retention and that is a really critical way that the system doesn't work see for me if you're going to play first of all you're playing Swansea they're playing a 5-3-2 we shouldn't be playing the same system as them if we have any hope of creating anything because you know then we had we had Benteke with the nearest player Townsend and then five players for them to beat and that that's so straight away that's why we weren't creating anything so very very frustrating to see but so guys you, you were talking about criticism criticizing a back three but it was actually a back five when we didn't have the ball so how did you feel the the defensively ignore we'll talk about the mistakes for the goals but defensively how do you think that worked was it better than the three that was against Huddersfield I'll ask you that Tim well the thing is with the Huddersfield game the Huddersfield was set up completely different to Swansea so Huddersfield really pressed us high and and gave us no time whatsoever but what it felt like yesterday with Swansea they they just kind of retained the ball themselves and were knocking it around kind of doing what we were supposed to be doing, which kind of yeah. fooled us a little bit because they were playing it better than what we were. Um, and, and as you say, it just it was a really boring first half. Um, and when we did put a couple of good passes together, then someone like Van Arnholt would, would then lose the ball, you know, kick it straight to them and we'd, we'd then have to wait again to get the ball back. Is, is that, do you feel that's where we, where we really did break down? The fact that that we we were the, I think you're right in the sense that we were the people who actually gave the ball away more often than not, uh, rather than Swansea actually making tackles and winning it back. We just kind of gave it to them, and a lot of times we weren't even under pressure doing it. No, exactly, because with Huddersfield, at least you could see they were like um, terriers. Really, they were like literally chasing down everything, like every lost cause, and you could see why we panicked and lost the ball against them. But against Swansea, Swansea started. They just didn't panic. They just knocked the ball about. They didn't really press us. They didn't really come at us. But like you say, we were the, you know, we kept losing the ball ourselves and um, and giving it back to them. And and you know, we we, we basically caused all the problems ourselves. I feel. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a, that's a good good assessment, really, and I'd agree with that. And I think um, 
we uh, and more so in the second half we actually ended up going very direct and and I know De Boer himself actually sort of picked that out and criticised it and Paul Clement as well sort of picked it out and said that um, he was quite surprised by that so and Nick you've picked out a stat that kind of backs up how direct we were going yeah, at one point in the first half, it was 27% possession, something like that. I mean, it might be 29%, but it was absolutely rubbish. Um, what I found was um, the PVA was, was in my half, uh, my end of the pitch, and the, the amount of times that he he just misjudged the ball. He had a, a really, really awful game. It's the worst I've seen him play. Um, that didn't help at all. But also, when we were going forward, well, A, we didn't know what to do when Swansea had the ball. We didn't we didn't harry them. We allowed them to do it, which is fair enough, but it's not very entertaining. But when we did get forward, it was as if seven or eight of the team had been told, you can't go further up the pitch than two-thirds up, because we just had nobody in that final third of the pitch when we did get well, the ball there. Well, um, before I need to go to DR in a bit, but before I do that, you and to answer your comment there, Rick has got in touch on um, on Twitter and actually said the chastening experience of the Huddersfield, of Huddersfield made our wing backs scared to push on. Therefore, we had no width. And um, whether it's just down to that or, or to the, the the tweak in the system and the the lessons that that De Boer feels he's had to learn from the opening few games, I, I make Rick as absolutely correct. The you know the the lack of width was extremely noticeable particularly again particularly in this transition phase from going six sort of from this sort of five three two to try and get an attack in three by the time we were in a position to actually cross the ball the you know the, the three weren't even in position and we saw that the few occasions we did get forward namely one where uh, pva got forward down the left and just crossed in front of goal and townsend was the only one in there at the near post and there was no one behind for the for the tapping so you know, I think I think Rickers is, is, is absolutely spot on with his observation there. Uh, DR. Uh, yeah, um, the reason why we actually had uh, 27% or 23% possession is that they were pressuring us every single time we were on the ball. And every time they were on the ball, we were just sitting there and we are just letting them kick about in the back. And it was absolutely ridiculous. I don't know why we let them just kick it about. Maybe also if we had a back four and played wingers, uh, that would be more ideal as well because we were playing it direct to Benteke uh, all game and him and Townsend in the middle, they were just they were just trapped. They couldn't escape the defenders and they, were, they couldn't do anything. So maybe if we actually played 4-3-3 from starting, as I said before, we might actually got a result if we pressured them and played it wide and crossed the ball in properly, then you never know what could have happened. But yeah, I don't I don't agree with Townsend saying off from Benteke. I think it's really poor. It, 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 it didn't work. And Townsend was one of our well, best players on the day. Uh, Tim, you noticed um, when, when the direct play started happening? Yeah, it was, it was around sort of 28, 30 minutes. Um, the defenders were calling for the ball, but Hennessy just decided to launch a couple up to, to Benteke. I, I, whether he just thought he'd had enough and <laughs> was getting bored, I don't know. But um, it, it seemed to sort of try and relieve the pressure a little bit. Although, of course, we still kept losing the ball when it kept coming back at us. But it was just interesting how, whether that was a message that, you know, if you have to, go long, which what certainly didn't happen against Huddersfield anyway. No, and again, from the comments from the, from the management, um, I can only feel that, but it wasn't an intention. It was something that happened because I don't know because of a lack of confidence in the in the team. Nick, yeah, 
we'd lost the ball a lot in possession as well, not just giving the ball away, but is there nobody shouting man on? I know Luca lost the ball a couple of times and he shouldn't have done. He should have been told there was somebody coming. So there's something not right with the team. And I just want to come back, back to the crowd. Um, the crowd weren't as jolly. I mean, I, I, I was playing two versions of atmosphere last night, the Joy Division one and the Russ Abbott one. And we needed more Russ Abbott than Joy Division yesterday. And I don't know how much that would have lifted the players, but it was nervousness. It was being afraid to do things wrong. And once we went to four at the back, it was kind of familiar for them. And they, they, they'd relaxed a bit, you know, being two nil down as well helps. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and we just didn't have any, it was inertia. Yeah, okay, well, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I described us uh, in, in in a similar fashion, although the, well, the opposite. I said we were too pedestrian. Do you like that? Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's not bad. Dr. Yeah, Nick, you brought up a good point there. I think when the um, fans were frustrated, I think that's when Hennessy started paying them more direct because we were just passing it to the defenders, but no one was coming for the ball it was just it was just weird like the midfielders weren't there to come and retrieve the ball and it was quite frustrating and everyone you could hear the groans and I think the players noticed it and we were trying to pass it around the floor and we couldn't actually pass the ball and these players are 100k a week so it was quite frustrating there and I think we just had to play direct because I think I don't know what happened to the players but just they just couldn't pass the ball for some reason all game now fair point there I do want to move us on in the analysis, but I'll take, we've got getting loads of contact today. Thank you for everyone for that. A quick shout to Simon West, who was similarly boring people around him for analysing the system. Uh, well done, mate. Nice one. Um, Jedi has got in touch. Uh, so could we add to the jingle, we ain't doing much. Is it now time to bring back the much? No. <laughs> Never. No. Oh. <laughs> but he's also said transfers. Who's controlling that? Why do we miss out so often? Do we need to sell before buying? Who's to blame? Lots of questions there. Um, we've got a transfer window show coming up. Um, and we're actually hoping that what's actually happened is Steve Parrish has decided that he likes coming on our transfer window show so much that he's going to keep all the announcements until then. <laughs> that's that's the current theory. All right. So he's, that's off. That's potentially our fault. In all seriousness, um, I don't know. I don't know how many people we've gen- genuinely missed out on. It's very hard to know that. You know, you can show an interest in a player, but unless they're your first choice, if they're a backup, chances are they might go to someone else before you get to that. Which I would kind of look at someone like uh, Oliver Burke, who went to West Brom. If we were probably serious about pursuing that, I, I do expect we would have got him. Um, there, I believe... there was loads of talk because of the Dougie connection. Wasn't yeah, there? exactly. But that's people again, people... two and two and making five. Yeah, but I mean, he was clearly he was clearly on our list. The board mentioned it, but you know, I, I think it's, it's just important to understand that the way that transfers work, you just have you really do have a whole load of people lined up, but it's all about waiting to see whether you get your first targets and, and kind of deciding on the point that you, you let them go and, and go on somewhere else. And in the meantime with that, you do run the risk that some of your secondary and, and tertiary targets, you might lose out on. Uh, Dio. Uh, yeah. I don't know how everyone else feels, but with Burke and Wimmer being so close to joining us and then all of a sudden we lost them to other Premier League clubs. Um, I genuinely think Sacco is going to come back as a result of it. I think we're keeping the funds to uh, get Sacco and I don't know if I'm too optimistic but that's what I genuinely think I think Sacco has to come back 
as if we got Burke, um, then we would have had a would have swapped Ward and Mensah would have played centre back. But now, if we get Saka, we can push Fossum Mensah right wing back and we can play him in centre. And losing Wimmer, just we need a defender as well, and we've been heavily linked with Saka. So I genuinely think that we'll get Saka back. I don't know it's, if it's only me, but it's, it's that's a good show. I certainly the the comment about Fossi Mensa playing right wing back I like very much because uh, he did shift to that to that position in the second half and was excellent out there. He uh, can put a ball in. He re- he can. He is a very very good player. He had one moment, of course, in the in the first half where he'd done all the hard work and then kind of just accidentally prodded the ball back to um, back to the striker, back to Abraham. Um, so he's he's also got a Palace style mistake in him as well, which isn't perhaps so good. But I really do like him as a player. Um, I, I, I do. But so no, uh, Sacco is someone who, you know, it's been widely reported that we we have had personal terms agreed with him for some quite significant period of time, and it really is just just the the, the waiting game. Uh, Nick, can you uh, read that comment out for me? Because I, I yeah, I was, I was, I've got a point to make about that. Why are the guys not talking about Steve just because they want him to feature on their show? Well, um, it's, it's well, because the who plays uh, Steve McFadden. Plays, uh, <laughs> he plays one of the Mitchell brothers. He's uh, I actually met him once in a chip shop in Falmouth. There oh, you go. wow. Really? Uh, why? Um, well, Chris. No, I, uh, no, I, I'm quite happy to tell you that. Look, the, the, the reason is mainly it's because I don't know. I don't know what to say about because most of the comments about about Steve Parrish seem to be based on things that people assume that they know. It's conjecture. Um, it's Not conjecture. Fact. So, for, for example, here's here's what I know about how the decisions are made at, at Crystal Palace, right? In that there are three people: that is Josh Harris, uh, David Blitzer, and Steve Parrish, who all have to sign off on anything for it to be done, right? So I'm not going to sit on this show and talk about specifically whether I think Steve Parrish is doing a, a good or a bad job, right? Because it's lazy. It, it, it's, he, he has two equal partners who are as responsible as he is for running the club and making the decisions. So I don't have the luxury of the information that they have and things that they know. Um, do you know? I don't, do you know what I mean? It's like it's sorry, like, we in the chat room. Yeah. Hashtag Hambo doesn't know. Exactly, <laughs> I don't. Absolutely right. I don't know. But no, go on, Chris. Well, no, I want to make. I want to finish right, my point. Look, but all right. Still, question Parish. I'm not saying they're wrong to question Parish. It's just we don't know. We can only we can only give out a load of rumours, which we're not in the room, which we're not doing are we chris we never we no, never do that. Only, only things about you when you're not on but you know yeah well, exactly no, i just want to i want to address the whole thing of people get really hung up on the idea that um that we're sycophantic to, to steve parish and we oh you don't want to offend him it's like to be honest with you like it's actually nothing to do with that it, it's, it's to do with having manners right if if People seem to want us to give him a hard time when he comes on the show. Well, it's like, let's go back to the to the appointment of Allardyce. I wasn't behind the appointment of Allardyce because of, of many, many reasons that I specified on the show. And I directly asked Steve Parrish questions about all of those reasons, and he gave his answers. Where would I benefit, and where would the show benefit, and where would the listeners benefit from me going on about what I think? It's, people want to hear what Steve says, right? 
when, when he's on the show. Now, getting, getting back to the point, DR's desperate to talk about Steve Parrish, but I'll be honest with you, I'm going to let him, but I don't think that DR has the necessary information to make the claims he's about to make. So let's see, DR. With Steve Parrish, I'm going to say, with him appointing Frank De Boer, why has he appointed him? He made a huge mistake. If you if, if forget, for the fact, and what? What was that? Three people appointed Frank De Boer. Josh Blitzer and Steve Parrish. Yeah, all right, but Steve Parrish is in the line. What? Who runs the club day to day? Steve Parrish. Steve Parrish. All right. So, I'll, so this who? is on way still on Steve Parrish. Steve Parrish could go to um, Dave, uh, David and Harris or whatever they're called, and they could say <laughs> whoever they're called. Yeah, and they could say to him, uh, basically, I think we should get him, and they could say yes. But mostly, it's Steve Parrish that's making the calls. You don't he runs know that day to day. You don't know that, though. All right, all right. Now, it's like it's having a hypothetical. You've, you've, you're if hypothetical. he does, okay. All right, all right. Let's say, okay, if he does, if he did uh, appoint Frank de Boer and all this nonsense, I think as much as Frank de Boer's, um, like, with tactically, he's not, he's been a little bit stubborn. We're playing through at the back. Steve Parrish has a big fault in this as well because he's appointing them, uh, knowing that we need players and knowing that he's going to play fancy football and we haven't got players that could play fancy football. So, by appointing him, he's made a huge mistake. Uh, by not backing him, he's making a huge mistake because he's putting us in big, uh, big problems. We could get easily relegated if we have this squad and we keep Frank to and play fancy football. So it's just, what's the point of appointing a manager like Frank to Boer? He wants to change the style and you haven't got a place to they play. Are, they are, I, I have to say, I, listen, I agree with that in terms of, of a criticism, but I just don't want the point I'm making, perhaps a little bit... Uh, What's the word? I've got I, I, pedantically. There you go. So a little bit. I've been a little bit pedantic in saying that you've got to criticise all three people who make decisions if you're going to criticise the decisions. But I do. I do agree with that. I think if you're going to appoint, full in the knowledge of what De Boer's plans were, and they were announced by by everybody when when the appointment was made, you have to back that, right? And but what the trouble is, we don't know why that hasn't happened we don't know whether it's the case of we tried and things didn't work out in the transfer market we don't know whether certain guarantees were made by the board that haven't been lived up to or we don't know if frank de boer actually said do you know what don't do anything in the transfer market until i fully assess my team because i reckon the analysis i've done the players we've got i don't really need anyone um you know that that could have happened. We just don't know. Um, the, 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 as Tim's making a point in, in the chat there, the transfer window is still open. But you know, and, and people do get hung up on that. Every year we do what we do late business, don't we? And every year we do tend to try and keep a little bit back to change something in January as well. And that's a very very hard thing to do. It really is. But look, Dio, I know the points you're making. I know the points that many people are making, and they're reasonable. If you're going to make the appointment that we made, you've got to back that appointment. Yeah. In addition to that, every year, you said every year, um, January transfer window, summer window, we do finally get the deals done and whatever nonsense. But we have to realise that when we do get the deals done, it's very late. Why is it every single year we leave it to last second? It is quite frankly annoying. Every club gets prepared and we're like one of the few clubs in the Premier League that's not prepared every single season. We've been there for five seasons now. Five seasons, but we do the same mistakes every summer window. And January window, I'll leave that about because it depends on how we're doing during the season. But every summer window, we do the exact same mistakes. We leave it last second and it's, it becomes a huge problem for us. And 
fans get pissed off and they have a right to get pissed off because we shouldn't leave at last second. And if we're going to buy the players, go for them in the right. start of the season. Kernaz is on fire. Tim and Nick want to get in there. Tim. Well, the thing is, you sometimes have to leave it late to get the best possible deals. Um, at the end of the day, we are Crystal Palace. We're not, you know, we haven't got loads of money like your Chelsea's or your, your Man City's. We have to get the best deals. And, you know, I'm guessing sometimes players don't actually want to come to us as well, our targets. So, you know, I do have sympathy for the board that we can't always just get in, you know, these signings that we want. I mean, last year it took us ages to get Benteke, but we got him in the end. Um, you know, we made that happen in the end and hopefully we'll do the same for Sacco this time. But I don't think he can be criticised for that necessarily. But but going to that team, but most clubs around us that have like, they're not, uh, let's say Bournemouth, let's say Burnley, uh, West Brom, they've all bought their players. They have. We've only we're struggling we're struggling to buy players, but they've bought their players. Surely West Brom and Burnley are not that much richer than us. They're not. Then why no, do we leave it late? No, they're not. Well, Nick, you got you want to make your say, then I'll uh, then I'll I'll have mine, and we'll uh, well, it's a it's a great debate. Really enjoying it, guys. But uh, Nick, let's hear what you've got to say. Well, the fact is, I think if we buy a Sacco, is it all the eggs in one basket? Um, obviously, it's not going to be thirty million in one lump one big lump sum and I, I really can't see Liverpool um, just keeping him as a as a as an asset and they're not making money on it um, he wants to play because it's a World Cup West Brom are they serious with their 30 million pound bid I don't know or is Pulis trolling us who knows with that one or do we get four or five players because it doesn't matter you can get a Sacco in but that's not going to stop Kelly giving the ball away and allowing Swansea to get their second goal. That's not going to stop PVA completely misjudging a header that he should oh, have man. got easily and and stopping Swansea from scoring because the only way Swansea scored yesterday was because of our players, the players we've got at the moment's mistakes and, and we should be yeah. also concentrating on getting that right. And can I just ask everybody, things are crap, but can we support our players next time at Sellers and actually get a bit of a Russ Abbott atmosphere rather than a Joy Division one because that will make a difference. Don't We're all behind Russ the Abbott. team. All right. I was convinced once that Russ Abbott was dead. And he wasn't. And another mate of mine thought the same. And we two of us still can't work out why. We remember the funeral and everything. I mean, we weren't invited to the funeral, but it was, you know, there was mention of it on TV. Sorry, I've. It just upsets me every time people. Was that the day it. you ate them mushrooms together? Yeah, I think it was. It's actually called. It's what's it called? The Mandela effect, something like that. Look it up on uh, on the internet. It's hilarious where people remember stuff that never happened. Anyway, so um, moving on from that. Actually, before we move on, just just to sort of address the point a little bit um try and give us a bit of a bit of closure on it although i'm sure it's something we'll come back to i think the important thing to remember there is is when we do our business this way in the window and the fact that we do it every time we have had the um the luxury of having steve parish on most transfer windows to sort of tell us what sort of a window it's been and, and how it's and how it's all come about and what he talks about quite a lot is first of all the transfer window is kind of like you almost have to wait for other deals to happen for your deal to happen. So you can line up a deal months and months in advance in advance. It can all be agreed, but it's not going to happen until something else drops and someone else does their business and, or, you know, a chain of three or four other deals have to happen first before, before yours can go on quite why we always seem to be the end of the chain. I don't know, but that's one factor that it gets brought up. The other is, I think, when Steve Parrish and, and the board are, are weigh, weighing up how to get the best value out of a deal, 
are they worried if Mr. Deacon and as from Thornton and Heath is getting a little bit, you know, a little bit frustrated by our transfer dealings? Probably not. They're probably looking at what's the best deal for the club. Um, and, you know, and I respect that. But it's always going to be a problem to take that same approach that we take every year if we're not winning games. Because people will quite rightly say, even though there's no proof that making those signings would make the, the team get those points anyway, but, but you know, people will still make the point. We haven't made the signings. We've thrown away games. We should have got something from Huddersfield. We should have got something from Swansea. We should have at least grabbed a point up in Liverpool. But, you know, all those things might well have happened if we had made the signings. And the trouble is, because they didn't, the pressure's on. But we've done some great business in windows in the past. It's kept us in the Premier League for the, in the top division for the longest we've ever been in it. So, you know, maybe, maybe we do have to have that leap of faith at these sorts of times. I don't know. It's gone yeah. a bit quiet now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Should I comment <laughs> on a Facebook comment? Yeah, let's have Facebook comments to round that off and then we'll get back into some bit more analysis before we uh, go. Yep. I've got Adam Newman saying, uh, fingers, even if we miss out on targets, why do we always leave it to the last minute? That was one Facebook comment from Adam Newman talking about Steve Parrish um, and Dills. But yeah, that's it for Facebook. Okay. Keep your comments coming. So um, another few things to, to, to pick out from the game. We got very, very, very distracted, but it was a good distraction to, to have that conversation. Um, I, I felt that the lack of attacking intent was was sort of, I mentioned this, was kind of crystallized. <laughs> Sorry. What's the matter with you? It's, they're, they're on fire in the chat room. Another positive thing. How do we think the West Ham podcast is going this evening? <laughs> very, very similar. <laughs> Probably they who just giggles in the middle of someone else saying something and then just interrupts them. I reckon and, their uh, host to go yeah. on mute as well. I bet he gets paid by the taxpayer as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shut up. Um, let's talk a little about, bit about the two goals we conceded. So the first goal... Overhit cross, as you said, Nick, PVA completely misjudges the header. But the problem, more than that, well, there's two problems, really. We just stood and watched while they lined up the cross for the next ball in. And I watched um, on the highlights afterwards. I didn't quite see it in the game. I just saw the ball come in and, and Abraham sort of prod it into the net. But watching the highlights back, it was, you know, Kelly's just focused on trying to grab hold of um, Abraham he's not focused on where he should be positioned you know he could have caught him offside you know he, but, but but he's not really thinking like a defender for some reason and for that reason it's just an awful goal to concede it's just, just terrible terrible defensive play um, and again typically it's right before half time I think that shows a bit of mental weakness Tim yeah I mean if you're gonna like grab him at least grab him enough to give a penalty away to stop the goal going directly in um, but yeah, it's just back to the old, what we considered the Pardew times of, of conceding those last couple of minutes before half time or at the end of 90 minutes. And uh, yeah, just so frustrating. And, uh, you know, what an instruction for Kelly, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, he didn't get much better for him with the second goal. Um, and I'll be honest, we could have done an hour show analysing the second goal, just, just how bad it was. But. I think you know Kelly's. On, he's, he's had the chance to kind of redeem himself after that that poor marking, and and got a header in on target, which was well saved. But moments later, it's straight up the other end, and he's just he's just not got awareness. He's the ball's sort of at his feet, and he's got an opportunity to just put his foot on it and 
knock a pass to someone or if he's really worried he could just kick the ball out of play but he's tried to be a bit too clever and just given the ball away in an awful position but what start that just starts off the problem so straight away you know you've got are you making a run now he's quick and he's quicker than scott dan but scott dan's reaction is to well even off after the ball is played then step up and put his arm up that's not good enough you know that really isn't good enough but then we have you know so there's a player bearing down on Wayne Hennessy. So a- anyone expect him to save it? <laughs> um, and, I, and I feel bad because he had a great game last week. And you know what? He's he's out of his area. But the problem he had was he, he hesitated, didn't he, Tim? He's, he didn't do anything, really. He just sort of laid down and sort of let him go round him. I just, I, it wasn't a proper challenge at all, was it? He could have just gone... No, so... no. He, he, he rebounded off the, the um, scorer's leg. He, he'd got the ball, but he just happened to rebound yeah. off the, the scorer's leg and go in. All right, he maybe sliced it in a different direction, but... He, he's unlucky, but the trouble in the run, if he'd been decisive, he makes the challenge. Unfortunately, he wasn't decisive, and you could call it unlucky, but it's no less than what we deserved for, for the way we defended there and for how badly we were caught out. Um, and at the time, it's just it's killed the game, it really has. Dio, you want to pay, make a little point on Scott Dam? Yeah, uh, Scott Dan, that's not the only time he has actually left the ball. I remember first game of the season against Huddersfield, he put his hand up again, but luckily for Semenza ran back under a superb, uh, brilliant challenge. Uh, I forgot the striker's name. Uh, yeah, but Scott Dan needs to stop doing that. This is the second time he's done it in th- uh, this season. He needs to stop putting his hand up and actually put his hand down and actually run for the ball. He started jogging. Maybe if he ran for it and put pressure on you, yeah, I understand I is fast. That might not be in his case. But he's done that twice now, and it's frustrating because the linesman has made up his mind. He's not going to change his mind just because you put your hand up. You should yeah. always run for it. We weren't this time. We were unlucky last time. Forsmanser saved us, but now he didn't save us, and he won't always save us. So we need to get cracking on. Yeah, and no, run I, for the ball. I, I'll be honest. You, you, you're, you're. I don't. I, I'm a big fan of Scott Dan. I really am, and, and still, I think he's he's an excellent defender. But what that that showed to me is. He already knew he wasn't getting back, and it and I don't like that because anything can happen. If he just if he sprints back, maybe once that ball's ricocheted off of Hennessy, he's there to pick it up. You know, you just you don't you don't stop running and put your hand up. You don't. That is not that's not acceptable, and that just shows a, a, a mental fragility that really concerns me um, because you know. Till the till the ball's in the back of the net, you've just got to give you everything for the. You know, you talk about players playing for the badge. You know, this is a former captain. I I just expect better, and I maybe maybe I'm expecting too much. I don't know. Maybe there was never a way that that ball wasn't going to end up in the back of the net, but it was just it was just horrible to watch. And um, you know, I, I think. You could talk about how we played a lot better in the second half, but obviously a lot of that you've, you've got to say. Was it more about Swansea sitting back and knowing they didn't have to attack? Was that why we had more possession? Certainly, Kabai came on and made a huge difference. Um, Understatement of the season. He changed yeah. the game. Yeah. He it's changed the player. game. He grabbed, it, he grabbed it by the scruff of the neck. He was solid on the ball. He, he sat just in front of that four-man defence. And he was absolutely brilliant. Didn't, didn't put a foot wrong. And I'm glad to see his fit. And hopefully this two weeks off we'll get him back in the team because you don't know how much you miss him till he's not there. Yeah, of course, uh, rumours rumors abound he might be in someone else's team instead, though. We'll have to see what happens. 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Is that why he gave his shirt away at the end and took ages to come off? Yeah, it didn't look good, did it? To, it didn't look good to me. One year left on his contract. He's obviously not going to sign a new one. So if we want any money for him, we've got to sell him now. So uh, I'd rather wages. keep him. I would as well. I'd have him for that last year. We need him. But who knows? Who knows? Um, all right. So, look. Let's let's end the, the game chat there. I think we've 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 talked about some key issues instead, and I think that was a lot better. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the debate. So last debate we're going to have today, uh, Dr. is going to bring up. Yeah, uh, on Facebook, Michael Ward has said, "What do you think on the news about Townsend being sold for twenty-seven million? What do you think? Tell us. Uh, it depends how we approach it. Uh, I think if we're going to get Sacco." And we need to sell Townsend to get Saka. I think it'll be, I think it'll be worth it. But then, then again, we're already lacking depth. And if we sell Townsend, then who's going to play on the wing? So, twenty-seven million is great money, and for Townsend especially, he hasn't lived up to expectations as much as I anticipated. So, it, it's a hard one. It really is a hard one. If we're going to get another winger, then I'll take that. But if we're not. It's, it's just what we're going to do. We're already attacking. We've been poor this season. What we're going to do when we have literally no one up there, it's going to be poor. It's going to be worse than it already is. And it's going to be an absolute nightmare. So it's, it's a hard one. Unless we're going to bring in another forward. Yeah, but if we're not, then I don't think so. I don't Nick, think we should go. 27 million. What did we pay for him? Buy it there. Uh, 10. With yeah. Dwight Gale. Buy it there, Randolph, for that. Kai Kai can play on the wing. We've got Schlupp who can play on the ring. We've got uh, Soiree, who's going to be back hopefully very soon, if, if there's good news in that. Um, Zaha's going to be back very soon. We've got Sacco with the H. Um, we've got loads of people who can play on the wing. And if it gets really, really bad, we can put Punction on the wing. Um, I've noticed you kept very quiet about him today, Chris. That was, that, that was, that was the one <laughs> word you... that I could, I could hear. Yes, it was Punction. <laughs> <laughs> I've kept it probably below the surface. Punch and then he, off he shuddled. He had a very, very, very poor game. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Before I go back to you, Dr. Um, I, I do want to get Tim's views on Townsend. Well, I actually thought Townsend was man of the match yesterday. Um, yeah. he, he had like about four shots. He was getting closer. So I think if we'd have played another ten minutes, he might have scored because he was getting closer every time. But his work rate was phenomenal yesterday, and he kind of almost took that role from Wilf, like where Wilf not being there, he kind of took it on upon himself to sort of fill that gap yesterday. Um, so mm. I'd be quite sorry to let him go. And and 27 million's all right, but it's only good if you've got, you know, who you're going to replace him with, really. That's, I mean, the players that Nick just mentioned, they haven't really got the experience at the moment. Um, I don't think Schlupp's are necessarily up to his standard. Um, so... Yeah, I'd be reluctant to let Townsend go, especially Wilf not fit either. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, where, where I am on it is, is if that 27 million quid is wisely spent, then it's a good deal. It's a good deal for everyone. And, and the, way, the reason I say that is, well, first of all, it's important to acknowledge, I don't think Townsend are the greatest of starts as a Palace player. But since then, he, he really turned his form around, particularly under Allardyce, and became has become a huge player for our squad. But bottom line is, I still don't think the player of his ability I don't think we get enough end product and I don't think we get you know I think too often he shoots too weakly or where he does make proper contact it's not on target I think too often he refuses a cross to cut inside and 
you know, we've got Benteke in there who needs crosses. And, you know, Townsend's a very good crosser of the ball, but his natural game isn't isn't to put the ball in, it's to drive a goal and have a go. And he's just not scoring and creating enough enough for me. Um, and if someone wants to pay £27 million for him, I think he'll go on and, and, and be a fantastic player elsewhere if he does leave. Uh, and if he stays, I think he's, he's, he's got to improve his end product with us. But, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against the sale. But, you know, it's, as everyone has, has said, it all depends on what we do with the money. If it enables us to get Sacco, it enables us to make three or four other chain signings. We desperately need that. We need pro- proper fresh legs in this squad. Players who are already physically fit and technically able to play the system that we want. Now, uh, DR and Nick, you both want to speak, but then let's wrap this up. Yeah, um, I was going to say, uh, Tim just <laughs> read my mind. With the players that Nick mentioned, I don't think they're good enough. They lack experience as well. So if we're going to drop um, Townsend, I know, sell Townsend for $27 million, it's just, it's just like, who are we going to get? That's the, that's the most important thing. What are we going to do with the $27 million? Because if it's all on Sacco, I don't know if it's actually worth it because we're lacking depth already and no one's up there but yeah I don't think the players are good enough that Nick mentioned and we could be in deep trouble if we have to rely on them to bring out um, to get goals and assists Fair play Nick take us home We want something positive to end on Why the hell not Birmingham City have joined the race with Leeds United in the chase for Crystal Palace midfielder Jordan Mux We might even have a bidding war for him (laughs) and show now (laughs) (laughs) midfielder I'm, technically is that a mistake <laughs> i don't know oh, you know that but even it's my my well, let's call it what it is my hatred of jordan much aside uh getting fringe players out to go and play uh elsewhere and getting money for them if possible is extremely important as we go up to the end of the transfer window you know we've only got a few days left we've got to get some people out of the squad who aren't playing it's really important we do that to give us room for, for others. And, you know, like I say, it's, it's an interesting time for us. It's been a very poor start for Frank De Boer. Um, and there, it, there's not too many positive signs, but, you know, if I was to say that there, you know, positives I would pick out is we've got a lot of talent in the squad. Loftus cheek is a great loan signing when he's fit again. He's a, he's a huge player for us. Obviously, Wilf is a, is a massive player for us and hopefully we'll be back fit soon. Um, so those those things would you know I honestly think with those two players in our team yesterday we probably would have got a better result. Um, so it, it's not an absolute disaster yet. We're very very early on, and it's better to have these problems now than later in the season. Uh, Nick, stop saying you want to speak. Sorry, it's, uh, uh, five uh, days is a long time in football, so who knows what we're going to be talking about on our transfer uh, special that I thought we should mention before we go. Yeah, Thursday. maybe I'll done, maybe I'll have done that when I was wrapping up. You and me are going to have words after this show, man. Are we word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much to everyone who contacted us today. We had so much contact, loads of it. Uh, it was all brilliant. Can't use it all, but we read it all. Um, and I'll continue to read it once the show's ended. Um, obviously, do listen to Terence's next preview show, which will be before the Burnley game, be the, the week leading up to that. Uh, and of course, we'll be back to review the very, well, let's just call it what it's going to be the win against Burnley. Cheers, all. See ya. Hi, everyone. It's Terence here from the Preview Podcast to ask if anyone has understood a single word that DR has said tonight. Honestly, the youth for today. He is living evidence of why Fulton Heath is no longer classed as Surrey. Anyway, I'm here to remind you that a week from Wednesday, the Burnley Preview Podcast will be ready for your ears from 10pm at all good podcast outlets. 
It's 100% less youth and 100% more old gifts. Okay, it's extra content time, you lucky, lucky people. And obviously, you know, we've all talked football. So uh, the topic this week, it's kind of sparked by a little bit of the controversy um, from uh, Terence's comments regarding FYP's views on Dougie Friedman. Um, you know, that that's Terence's show. He can he can say what he wants and he, and he has the right reply, as, as do they. Um, maybe I wouldn't have said those things myself, or at least not in those way, in that way. But, you know, su- such is life. So we'll, we'll let that rumble on. But what it did spark was, uh, was a wonderful uh, set of comments and some feedback on, on the BBS that I've, uh, I've decided that I think, guys, we're going to really benefit through uh, doing some analysis on the, the feedback we've got. And it'll make us better as a show. So you're all ready for this. A bit of naval gazing, you mean? Yeah, exactly. A bit of navel gazing, a bit of you know self reflection. Are we really? Are we working hard enough? You know, are we as professional as we should be? Um, let's, let's have a look. Uh, so, a guy called McMean, who you know he is what he says he is. I appreciate the effort you guys put into the pod, but please leave that dr kid off in future. He speaks like a simpleton. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, wait, wait to prove him wrong there, dr. <laughs> Uh, oh no! <laughs> I tell you what, that bloke's got zero clue. <laughs> oh. Well, he's not going to be impressed on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Hey, but Dr. Don't worry. Uh, Trevor Wells said, "I appreciate Dr.'s contribution and has given you a thumbs up, smiley face." Thank you very much, Trevor. I appreciate your comments as well. Yeah, there we go. So that's all right, isn't it? It's all right. You have to take some criticism. Criticism? Did I say that right? Oh Anyways, my god! So, Listen, no, I, I was, go. I'm that, massively starting right. to agree with McMean. Yeah. Exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's a little bit of balance from from Martin H. As I listen to both now, if I had to choose today and I don't, I'd pick FYP as it's as my fave. You know. Listen, we've all got our own issues, mate. That's fine. Uh, the whole one is like a bunch of fans chatting down the pub without trying to be slick at all. Hey, <laughs> come on, come on, guys. <laughs> Yeah. this year so far uh, the last and I think it tries to be a bit more structured that's true it is a podcast rather than uh, the live radio show that we are uh, and that'll be a feature of uh, some of the things I say but actually Martin's making some really good comments he says both both good one comment read a silly game at the end of the last whole pod I have little idea what the clues were but still found it strangely amusing not sure it worked very often but made me laugh that Martin is exactly what we aim for confusing strangely amusing and not sure if it would work very often. Perfect. Uh, so there we go. Um, the whole get... one is a, like a bunch of fans chatting down the pub yeah. without trying to be slick at all. Now, when you when you asked me to be on the show, you said it's got to be like fans chatting down the pub and it's got to be a bit rough around the edges. So, like, perfect. Martin, yeah. thank you. That's exactly <laughs> what we want to be. Doing well so far. <laughs> uh, Hello, Hello. Uh, too sycophantic for me. Lots of people like the word sycophantic or sycophant, um, which fair play. Uh, A number of argument points that were not factually true. Spinerby team team still playing in the Premiership, attributing Nathaniel Klein, England success being down to him regarding Freeman. So that's uh, we're we're sycophants in that one. But there you go. It's it's his view on Terence's comments. That's absolutely fine. Brian thinks that Terence was spot on, and 
and uh, and has said thank you to both Homestay Radio and FYP Podcast for entertaining him on the way to work in the morning, and he misses us in the summer months. And do you know what? I'm going to say this now. I really hope out of the back of this, it's it's garnered some attention. It's not the way I want to go about getting attention, but if it makes a few people who, who only listen to FYP listen to us and vice versa, that's it, because you should listen to both to get an entirely balanced view from the Palace support. Uh, but there we go. Um, so let's uh, let's move on a bit further. We get to Mushroom, who's uh, defending Terence a little bit, and quite rightly, he refers to Terence by his favourite nickname of Teabag. Teabag gives his opinion. He's not the BBC. He doesn't offer a, have to offer a counter argument to his own opinion. Thank you very much. You're right. He doesn't have to be balanced. Uh, but that's followed up by Burgess Hill eighty four saying. Nick Philpott talks the biggest load of bollocks I've ever heard. He offers nothing to talk for the show. Why do have him on? I've, That's I've his got, mum. I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no, I'll answer that. Um, anyone going to defend Nick? Because the man talks a lot of bollocks. No, but I'm going to go to Lombardo 7. Is oh, come on. Both podcasts past the time. I feel oh. FIP is becoming better while Hull toes the party line sucking up to the board. Most noticeable when BFS was appointed with the presenter with the nasal issues, Hamrock, <laughs> having a significant moan about it. <laughs> Don't agree with... Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I love it. Um, I love you're a sycophant. I was yeah. literally building up to that. Uh, everything I was doing was building up to that moment. Yeah, so you just jump in, interrupt me, and shit all over my parade. Yes. Thanks very much. It's the Homestead way. We're up around the edges. We're it's like in a pub. I, I did see uh, Lombardo Seven's comments at the time because he is one of, I think, two people I have on Ignore um, on, on the PBS. I don't even know why, I'll be honest. He's obviously taken a dislike to me before. Uh, so let's, let's just go right. So uh, first of all, presented with the nasal issues. Yeah, sinusitis, mate. It's not, not much fun, but there it is. <laughs> now, is uh, now, is it because uh, you know? Is it because of some past misdemeanors? Who knows? But there we go, sinusitis. So hopefully that that helps. Mistaking my name for ham roll. Yeah, I think you know my real name, don't you? It's a bit mean, isn't it, mate? Isn't it mean? And apparently, I was fawning all over Steve Parrish when I discussed the appointment of uh, of Sam Allardyce. Obvious sycophant. We'll have to call you Mr. Tumnus, you fool. <laughs> listen, that's, that's fine. Um, and listen, so, I really appreciate the fact that both podcasts pass the time. <laughs> that's the nicest one's ever said to me. Um, Dedder says, FYP is awesome. Daily presents brilliantly, creating a good vibe. Uh, the last thing I need is our vibe criticised. Lots of intelligent analysis by the panel. Homestead is sort of okay. Often feels nervous. Weaker panel with overproduction and too many jingles. Mikey, you absolute slag. Blame Mikey. Blame Mikey for that. Mike Oxmo. Overproduction. I have to say, overproduction is it's the furthest away from any kind of insults I was expecting. Never heard. My Sometimes they're not even there, the producers. How can they be overproducing? Oh, only if they're... Effectively sabotages every show he's on. Hi, Tom. Um, oh. yeah. So, uh, uh, this is probably my one of one of my... Uh, I think this is fair, right? Um, Scro, who's, who's a regular listener, said that FYP's been resurgent this year and then says that we're hitting a bit of a rocky patch, uh, a lot of nonsense being spouted, although he is defending you, DR, um, which is fair enough, you know. That's that's your view. Um, 
and MCPFCS has said afterwards, FIP is currently significantly stronger. That said, Hambo is always an excellent listen. Shame there's not much behind him on whole. Mate, finally someone understands my pain. Harsh. Boo. <laughs> Uh, CPFC Ben, my favourite one so far. Never listen to Hong apart from when Parrish is on. A couple of hours banging on about how great Freeman is would all be too much for me. Needlessly slagging off the other pod on your show is pointless. Do your own thing and get on with it. So you don't listen. <laughs> he doesn't. How many times have we spoken about Friedman? Oh, mate, I don't know. I don't know. He's just about three. Thanks about something he doesn't listen to and he's criticised the thing that didn't happen. Well done, Ben. Good work. Um, other than that, everyone was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken all that feedback on board. We're uh, it's good. It's good to see the positives that, and the cons. Like, are you speak like a simpleton? Can I? Is that can I just right? um, <laughs> mention Ryan the Eagles? Where yeah. he, uh, one of his faces, uh, I remember Gel blagging his way through an episode of Whole Radio, which he hadn't seen the match, listened to the match, or even seen highlights of it, and he's still made for great listening. <laughs> what episode? <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, that's that's the magic of Mr. Joe Olioke. He's uh, he's got a story to tell about everything. He can make. You know, you can make tiling seem interesting, can't he? Tiki bars is the latest. <laughs> now builds tiki bars. If you want a tiki bar built in your garden, gels your man. He even, he even Facebook live the tour of it this afternoon. <laughs> is it? Changed. <laughs> it has changed. <laughs> oh. It's wedding. Anyway, anyway, I know that was a bit like uh, the whole, I don't know if you've seen Jimmy Kimmel, where he does the... Uh, celebrities reading out mean Twitter comments. It was a bit like that, but uh, look, we're only having a laugh. I hope it's very tongue in cheek, and I genuinely do uh, take on board everything that's said. I think you know some people, particularly people who don't actually listen. I'll be honest with you, I'm not really going to take your opinion for, for anything really. But uh, they listen, won't know that though because they're not listening. <laughs> they're not listening but, You're uh, wasting your breath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we aren't professionals. We are just fans talking about palace and uh try to make it entertaining we've been doing it seven years and we've got you know thousands of people who engage with us every week so we're very very proud of that and um we hope to be doing it for for many many more years well some of us do anyway (laughs) 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 and and i'd like to also sign off by saying you know maximum respect for five-year plan who have been around a little bit longer than us as well um you know, and, and they put a hell of a lot of work into what they do. Not just the podcast. There's, there's a fanzine and there's a, a website that's full of articles every single week as well. So, you know, huge respect to those guys. And, and obviously the comments that were made previously shouldn't be taken as a, you know, as a, a show opinion on, on their podcast or anything like that. You know, we've met the guys. They're a great bunch of people. And, you know, this, well, I'm happy to have a little bit of lively rivalry, but hopefully it never goes more than that. I've, so, I've, um, I've got a complaint about them. Have you? Yeah. When we played them at football, their team was full of ringers. We actually played us, and we weren't exactly like, I don't know. And, and they, went mad for, they, they went mad for beating us when most of them played for Worthing Reserves or something. Oh, <laughs> 
just sounding bitter there. We had, we at least we had Jelenoy in them. <laughs> we were we were up at half time because of how much he distracted them. So. What what annoyed me most about that was I scored a goal and it didn't get on the film. Which is still on YouTube somewhere, isn't it, Chris? I think it probably is. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, maybe one day in the future we'll uh, we'll, we'll rematch. Match, yeah. yeah, they'll have to be walking football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.